that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 as we continue through this fast-moving, action-packed gospel uh, by John Mark. Now, if you remember when we left last week, we were in or, or moving through Decapolis, uh, going to the Sea of Galilee, uh, where Jesus is going to end up getting into a boat again. But he has been ministering to. He had been up in the Syrophoenician region in uh, Tyre and Sidon. And the context really is is that he is ministering right now to Gentiles. He's moved away from the Jewish area. He's looking for a place of rest. They're trying to get away so they can rest some, but he's becoming so famous from all of his healings and the words that he's speaking that the people want to take him and make him king. And you can kind of get that from John more than you get it from Mark. And so... He's trying to find a place to rest, and they can't find it. But I want you to keep in mind that he is actually speaking to Gentiles at this time. His audience is Gentiles because you need that context in order to see what's going on. He actually just healed the man who was mute, or excuse me, he was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and what he did was, is he didn't do it the way people thought he was going to do it. They said, lay your hands on him, touch him. But he took the gentleman away from the crowd. He got him alone and he healed him. Let me just ask you again, as I did last week, are you getting alone with God? Are you getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship with God, learning to articulate and hear his voice so that you would follow him and not follow the other voices? because there's so many other voices out there that seem to have wisdom, but it's not the wisdom of God. There's so many voices out there that seem to have answers, but it's not the answer of God. Listen, there's so many voices out there that you can trust in, but we're only called as Christians to trust God. Are you getting alone with God? Are you in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship? I'm going to continue to encourage you that because it's a personal love relationship. And God wants to take you alone by yourself and speak to you. And we seem to have this this flesh in us that is afraid to get alone with God. Oh, I'll listen to the pastor. I'll listen to somebody else. I'll listen to, I'll read a number one bestseller, but I don't want to get alone with God because that's a scary thing. 
Tell you what, He'll open your ears so you can hear clearly what He's saying to the church. And He'll fix your speech impediment where you'll be able to tell others about it. You'll be able to go and make disciples if you get alone with Him. It'll be like a fire in your bosom that has to get out. Now let's read, beginning 8-1 of Mark. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called His disciples to Him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, what does this why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves and the five thousand? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it you do not understand? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And we pray that you would open our understanding so that we can follow after you. And learn to make disciples as you have. Pour out your spirit. Bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. In those days. Now that's a transition statement. It's what's going on. They're moving towards the Sea of Galilee. The multitude being very great and having nothing to eat. So they're following him. There's a multitude, I believe, of Gentiles. Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, he's always wanting to put us to work. He wants to call us to him and he wants us to listen and then do what he calls us to do. And he tells them his heart. And both the times that he fed 
uh, the 5,000 in chapter 6 and now the, the 4,000 here, he tells us about his compassion. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now listen, lest you be like others who think this is just a retelling of the other feeding of the 5,000, it's totally different. Now, some people have just breezed over this and ignore this, but it's totally different. Once again, like I told you, the, in chapter 6, there is 5,000. They had been with him one day. They were Jews. And he was having compassion upon them. It's, he actually says, I, I have compassion upon them. It's the same statement. It means the bowels of mercy and pity. He's looking at their needs and He wants to take care of them. You know, it's because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness, we're told in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It's because He has compassion upon us. He saves us because of His mercy. Listen to me. We're saved by grace, but it's because of His mercy, His compassion. Because of the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed. Mercy, not getting what we deserved. So it's not the same. This is a foretaste of the Gentiles coming to salvation. He fed the 5,000. Now He's going to feed the 4,000. And there are a lot of other things I may or may not point them out. But there's a lot of other differences. In case you think that it's the same one, all one would have to do is read the narrative that goes on um, in verse 19 and 20. When I broke the five loaves and the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? Twelve. When I... Broke the seven for the 4,000. How many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? Do you see that? Jesus actually gives a, a narrative of it. The testimony to it. And proves that there was two different times that it happened. It's not the same miracle. It's not the same testimony and work of God. And so we want to be very, very careful. So, of course, again, back to the heart of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God over the multitude. I see Him having compassion, and He feeds the Jewish nation. Of course, they really need the bread of life to sup from Him. Then He has compassion, and He reaches to the Gentiles, which is all the others. Of course, the physical is not the important thing. It is the spiritual bread of life that came down from heaven. It's Jesus Himself that they need to see. There's plenty of physical bread. There's, there's always going to be bread. But what about Jesus, the spiritual bread? We have to keep our eyes fixed on Him. And we're really in a text here where that's what He wants us to understand. Do you still not understand? He wants us to understand that there's a devil out there trying to rob, kill, and destroy. There's a devil out there trying to keep a veil over your eyes so you will not understand that the most important thing is the spiritual bread that has come down from heaven. And you'll always stay focused on getting a meal, getting your physical needs met, and, and, and those things first, and put God second. 
But it's seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added to you. We have to put the spiritual first and not the physical. When you put the physical first, you're always going to end up in a ditch. When you put self first, you're always going to end up in a ditch. When you put the physical bread first, you're always going to be confused. And that's why we have religion. Woo, that was a big transition. We're in a text where he's talking about what the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes have been doing to the truth of God. And they've been taking it and and making up their own rules. You hear me? And making the Word of God to no avail. And we do the same thing with the bread of life in the church. We take the Word of God, we make up our own rules, and we make the Word of God into physical. And we begin to eat of that bread and be concerned about that bread. I believe this is such an amazing text that we may never understand the fullness of it. But think about this for a minute. With the 5,000, the baskets were small baskets. You can look them up in the Greek. He even says it there in verse 20. With the 4,000, the baskets were large baskets. Totally different. Okay? Twelve baskets with the first and 5,000. Seven baskets full of fra- large baskets, I should say. Now, these are not just large baskets. It's important that you understand how large they are. The exact same word is used in Acts chapter 9 when Paul is lowered down over the wall in a basket. So these are man-sized baskets. These are huge baskets that they take up all these fragments from. Now, I just want to throw something out there, and you can throw it out if you don't like it, but I really believe that God provided enough atonement for all of the world, the whole Jewish nation, and the whole world. And that the fragments taken up represent those who would not taste and see that the Lord is good. The fragments represent small baskets of the Jewish nation that did not eat. And that's just my opinion. It's not a big deal. You don't have to base any theology on it. But then there's so many fragments left over of large baskets when you're looking at the whole world that's left over. And that's because the the, 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 uh, uh, gate to destruction is wide and many go there. But the gate to salvation is narrow and few find it. Few will taste and see that the Lord is good. How about you? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Now if you have, you need to understand that the next warning we're going to get is to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. To beware of adding to the bread of life. To beware of changing it. That's the, that's the text we're in here. The whole context is, is while you're dealing with life, look at, look at the spiritual first. While you're dealing with life, don't let the physical change your theology. Because that's what's going on in culturanity. We've allowed the physical over the years to change it, just like the nation of Israel did. And we're so far away from hearing the voice of God that we listen to the voice of men and follow religion. And we get physical food and we think we're okay when we're still lost in our sin and trespasses. So, he says he has compassion on the multitudes. They've been with him three days without eating. Three days. Think about that for a minute. They're fasting. And the word is actually where it says in verse 3, And if I send them away fasting, 
hungry in the New King James to their houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. I mean, he's from the south. They came from afar. They were in afar. Listen, listen, seriously, seriously. Notice three days Jesus has taught them spiritual food before he even deals with the physical food. Three days. They're fasting. It's a forced fast for three days. Why do I point that out? Because many churches in our culturanity, their new plan of evangelism is to offer a meal to get people in. They offer a physical meal first, and really it's the spiritual needs that need to be met. Listen to me, because this is what culturanity does. We twist it and we make the Word of God to no avail. Now, I'm not saying everybody that feeds somebody a physical meal is evil, but we have to be focused on the spiritual food or we are going to let the physical person go to hell. And we get flipped upside downward and we think we can make a new plan, but Jesus let them go three days and He taught them. And you know what the amazing thing was? They were still spiritually hungry. It wasn't like they were going, Dude, you've been talking for three days. We'd like to have a meal. He was the one that had compassion on them and knew that they couldn't keep going without food. So he takes care on his own volition, out of his mercy, let's take care of their physical needs also. Listen, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added. He'll throw the physical in if we get our hearts right on the spiritual first. But we've flipped it upside down. We've taken the word of God and make it to no avail. We want to take care of everybody's physical and then... We'll use that as a way to get an audience, and then we'll talk to them about spiritual. It's upside downward. You don't want a bunch of goats in your church. You don't want a bunch of people that don't know Jesus in your building. You're supposed to be equipping the saints. So you teach the Word of God, and if they show up, that means they're hungry for spiritual truth. They're looking for hope. They're looking for life. And then you can take care of their needs. That's the way we should do it. Just my simple observation of this text. They're on a force fest. Remember, why would he have compassion? Because he's acquainted with our grief. How many days did he spend in the wilderness? Where are they at? Verse 4, Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Remember, he was in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights fasting. So he's acquainted. He's been through it. He knows what the third day feels like. He knows that's when the hunger gets really strong. And he's ready to take care of it at their greatest place. But notice the question. Oh my goodness. Notice the question, verse 4. Again, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? It's our word again that we talked about to gorge them, to supply with abundance, to satisfy or satiate them in the desert. Does anybody else see a problem with this? He just fed 5,000. We just went through this. You know, you would think, now listen, if, he would have, if they would have said to him, you want us to make him sit down again? 
So they didn't even get it. Are you with me here? He just did it with 5,000 Jews. Shouldn't you and I, they and them, should they not be able to just say, you want us to make them sit down again? Shouldn't we just trust Him that if He did it once, He can do it again? Shouldn't that just be the natural thing? Jesus, you want us to make them sit down in fifties and hundreds again like we did over there on the other side? No. Look where their hearts are at. Their hearts are, how could anyone? Wait a minute, I just did that, guys. What do you mean, how could anyone? I just did it. You see how quickly we forget who God is and what God is doing? Maybe it was last month. Maybe it was last year. Maybe it was a, a while ago. Maybe it was last night that something happened and God blessed you. God delivered. God answered prayer. And then the next thing happens and we go, oh! That was real loud. Think about it though. It only takes a couple minutes and we forget because we're sheep. We go around to the back of the barn and we go, bah, I'm lost. I'm just around the barn. We forget who God is and what He's doing the whole time is having compassion and mercy and love and grace. And He's leading us to this truth that He's always going to come through. If you'll seek Him first in His righteousness, that He'll always provide physically. Oh my goodness, I, I couldn't pay the rent last month, and now this month. If you'll just listen and be corrected, and you'll obey, and you'll follow and hear His voice, and do what He tells you to do, He's always going to provide. I will provide all your needs according to my riches and glory in or by Christ Jesus. He's going to provide. He's going to take care of you. How? I mean, think about this. This is the... A-team, the apostles. Not the B-apostles. This is the apostles. And they just within a few days seen this exact same thing go on. And they asked this question. Doesn't that make you feel good about yourself? They're walking with Him physically. We're trusting in Him and we've never seen Him physically. Listen to me. What kind of question is that? We're supposed to be trusting Him, not trusting in self. We've never been told to trust in self. We're supposed to be dead to self. Not trusting in government or anybody else that is ruling over us. We're never told to trust in government. We're told to obey the ruling authorities, but never told to trust them. We should never be taught to trust them. They're underneath the sway of the wicked one. We are only commanded in the Bible to trust God. Have faith in God. Our faith has to be placed in God, not in anybody else. We're never commanded to trust anybody else but God. Where's your faith at this morning? I just find the question amazing. Yet I'm just like that myself. And you're just like that yourself. But we're not supposed to stay that way. We're supposed to be growing up in the faith. We're supposed to be getting better at this. We're supposed to be maturing where we learn to walk in peace and to rest and to seek God and to know that He's going to come through and that He loves us and He's going to get us to the other side. 
and that everything that He's doing is because He loves us. Every pain, every suffering, every heartache, everything that's going on in your life, if you are a child of God, it's because of Him bringing you into His likeness and into His family and getting you to the other side. He doesn't have anything. He's having compassion on you. I think if we would be more thankful when He does something in our lives, not just praying and then going, Yes! God did it! And we tell everybody else, but what about giving God thanks for it? And that's why we give a place, you know, even on Friday nights, we give a place for, for praise reports. We can thank God. We can give praise. We can own up to what God has done in our lives. And then as you own up to it, you're reminded of it later when something else comes up. Well, if God took care of that, He can take care of this. There's one person who said, and I repeat, it's not original of my own, that uh, this is obviously not man writing this. Because see, man doesn't go backward. Man, if they did 5,000, then the next time they want to do 7,000 or 10,000. You know what I mean? They want to make it greater. They want to make it look good. This is God writing it. And He actually does 5,000 the first time, and then He does 4,000 the second time. He's not trying to prove what He can do. He's showing that He will do it and have compassion upon you. He'll take care of it. If He was trying to show his, how amazing His power is, would He need to do anything more than feed 5,000 with five fish? Five loaves and two fish? That's already powerful. If you'll look at it with a heart that's soft, willing to yield, willing to understand, we're going to see the Pharisees come and they, they don't have that heart. They're looking for fault. Show us a sign! Oh, five loaves and two fish and feeding 20,000 people wasn't good enough sign for you? Open the eyes of the blind, that wasn't good enough? My goodness. So his disciples, again, this is the apostles, not the B team. You and I, this is his learners. they just seen it done and they say, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Notice that he still does what he's doing, but this time, see, notice the, the, the total stark difference in these two testimonies. Verse 5 he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. Before they said, five. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. See that? He didn't say, hey guys, make them sit down in fifties and hundreds on the grass, which was the last one. It was on the grass. This is a little later in the season. Now there's no grass. There's actually ground. And he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. So once again, though, he prayed over the meal. Once again, he gave thanks. See, I think this is how we remember the power of God. I think this is another way that we remember how 
uh, uh, the, the, the miracles of God that He's already done in our life, the ways that He's already come through, is that we don't just give thanks once, we, but we give thanks for everything He does. All things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Very important. And I, the reason I say that is because I'm not very thankful. I'll pray. I pray a lot. Asking God to do things, but I'm not very thankful in noticing what He does. That's not confession. This is not confessional. I'm just telling you that we need to be thankful. Jesus looks up again. It's not to put, not in the text. That's what He did before. But He gave thanks. He prayed over the mill. Then He gave it to His disciples, and His disciples set it before them. Right? He handed it out. And this is what you're always going to see. That if you're a disciple of God, if you're a follower of God, if you're one of His pupils, you need to come to Jesus and get the bread of life, and then you need to set it before others. You can't make them eat. Think about it. There's people fasting out there that Jesus had just set on the ground, and they're fasting out there, and you can put all the bread and fish in front of them you want, but you can't make them eat it. They can keep on fasting. And that's what's going on in our culture today. You can tell them the truth. You can tell them about Jesus. But it's up to them to receive it. There is enough food out there. There's enough bread. There's enough blood in the atoning power to pay for all the sins of the world. But we can't make anybody receive it. All we can do is offer the gift of His love. And it's the same thing with the gospel. Sometimes I find myself frustrated saying, why aren't they getting it? Why won't they pick it up and eat it? Why won't they do it? Why won't they go? There's nothing I can do except be who I am. But it's not out of meanness that I would get frustrated. It's out of love that I want people to get the gospel, to pick it up, to run with it, to hand the baton to somebody else, to understand that He's enough, that you put Him first and He'll take care of you. And yet we see ourselves fighting a battle in the street once again instead of with the gospel. Are you thankful? Are you giving other people what you received from Jesus? Verse 7, They also had a few small fish. Notice the number doesn't matter when you have 4,000 people. Just a few. Last, uh, in the 5,000, there was two small fish. And having blessed them, so the same order, He blessed them. He blessed them. He was thankful for them. And there was enough to go around. I mean, it could be a directive here to pray over your food. He's blessing the food. Every time we see him eating, he's blessing food. He's praying. He's giving thanks for the food. And then he gives instructions. Set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, satiated, satisfied, No longer fasting for spiritual truth. 
and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Once again, they're large baskets, not small. These are man-sized baskets, not little baskets. Large baskets. Where did they go? What happened to them? I don't know. I don't think they wanted to drag them into the boat. I mean, my thought would be that they probably gave them to the people as they left, but... We don't see them. They're getting ready. We're getting ready to see another text here in a minute where they get in the boat and they ain't got no bread. Why didn't you bring those seven baskets of large baskets? Well, it might have sank the boat. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, listen, this is the way I go through the scriptures. I look at it and say, what happened to this? And where's that? And what's he saying here? And what's he trying to get to us? And the Holy Spirit leads me. But I just think stuff like, where did they go? Left to rot and putrefy? See, if it represents those who wouldn't taste and see that the Lord is good, that's what happened. They just sat there and rotted and died. Verse 9. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Immediately, action, got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. So again, 4,000 doesn't count women and children. If it did, there would be more. It doesn't matter when you have um, seven loaves and a few small fish. It's a miracle to feed 4,000. And they didn't just get a meal and go, oh, I had a little bite. I think I got enough nourishment to get to the closest store. They were so full, they probably took a nap. Listen, He'll take care of the physical if you'll look first for the spiritual. I mean, that's what He wants to do is fill us up spiritually first. Three days worth of teaching and then physically. I'm not going to teach for three days, by the way, in case you was freaking out over that earlier. Three days till I get to eat again. So we don't know how many people there was, but it is indeed a miracle. Then he's again trying to get him into the boat and get to get it back onto the Sea of Galilee, uh, so he can teach them, uh, so that he can get them rest. Uh, but they're back into the fellowship. Notice after doing the work, you come back to the fellowship. Listen. You're here today to be equipped with the bread of life to learn what you're supposed to do as a saint as going to others and then you come back to the fellowship. And and, and we share with one another and give thanks for what God has done and, and we encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching and then we go back out again. And it's supposed to grow our faith. But what happens is, is we've, we, we bought into this culturanity and we come to church and we say, play for me, praise team, uh, preach to me, preacher. And then we go back out to self-life and we do what we've always done and we let the birds of the air steal that seed as we go out the door. And we never use it. We never become doers of the word. We're just hearers only. 
And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm saying that this is what happens in religion. This is what happens when we let the devil and man take over the gospel. Because we should go out and go with what we've heard and what we hear and learn and tell others. And then we should go meet with God and say, I need some more bread. I need to meet with you for more strength, more power, more, more boldness. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry. Because I know I'm supposed to be going out to others. And then you've got something when you come in. Really, church... It's supposed to be a believer's meeting. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Believer's meeting where we come together and we minister to one another. How Again, I digress because we're in culturanity and we're doing it the way that most people do it so that we don't look so weird. Isn't that sad? There's certain things that are hard to gain back. In the gospel. Because if you just meet a believer's meeting and you hide in your house, people go, they're weird. They just meet in their house. There's nothing wrong with meeting in your house. In fact, that's what I would counsel you today. There's no reason to start a church. We are the church. If you got people, just let them meet in your house and let's talk about the gospel. But let's go out and do the work of God. Because if you meet together and we never do anything about what we learn... That's still not the church, no matter where we meet. So again, a great miracle. I believe it was of Gentiles, and that uh, it's a precursor of salvation coming to the Gentiles. Verse 11, Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. Tempting, King James. It just means to scrutinize and examine and try him and make him prove his case. They're looking for a sign. And he sighed deeply, which we've seen before when he sighed deeply with the, with the uh, uh, deaf man that had an impediment of speech. It meant to pray immutably. It can also mean to groan, or you know, but it can mean to pray without them knowing what he was saying. Very good thing to do. When people walk up to me, when I meet with people, I often say silent prayers. I'm talking with God. What do I need to say to this person, Lord? Lead me, Holy Spirit. Nothing wrong with having immutable prayers or, you know, if you see me driving down the road and my lips are moving, it's because I'm talking to God. And he sighs deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Now, see, again, it's typical that they would ask a sign. It's typical that if you came and you pro professed to be a teacher, that you were supposed to do a sign. And, 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 and if you couldn't prove that your words were from God, then they were not supposed to listen to you. They were not supposed to follow you. And I didn't go get it in Deuteronomy. I didn't go get the text. I'm just telling you that this was a typical thing. Now, uh, another thing that might be noticed is that um, he already did a bunch of signs. 
Okay, you see rioters on the street today, right? And if they were just standing on the street, you might think that they're waiting for a bus. They're so peaceful. Supposed to be humorous. But since they have a sign in their hand, now you know they're for some other reason. And a sign tells you more about something than what you can already see. That's really what a sign is about. But this guy's already raised the dead. He's healing the lame. He's healing the blind. He's healing people. He just healed a guy that has an impediment in his speech. He's, he, he's doing all kinds of miracles. And they would come with hard hearts and go, we, we seek a sign. Really? Really? You're seeking a sign. None of that other stuff meant anything to you? You've been doing that all your life. You've been seeing that all your life. The eyes of the blind have been opened, and you've been seeing that. See, it, it makes no sense for them to come and examine him and tell him to prove himself when everything that he did in life, he was life incarnate. He was having compassion on everybody he met, except for the hard-hearted religious people who had hijacked the religion and turned it into something that it was not. To hijack the Word of God and turned it into something it was not. Hmm. Again, he's right in a Roman audience, so he doesn't mention what Jesus mentions in Matthew. If you'll remember in Matthew, he says, And none will be given except for the sign of Jonah, who was three days in the belly of the earth, so will the Son of Man be three days or excuse me, three days in the belly of a well, so will the Son of Man be three days in the belly of the earth. That's the only sign he was going to give them. Thus, besides all the miracles he was already doing. And that was because in Matthew, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience that would be familiar with the testimony of Jonah, but these Romans would have no idea what he was talking about. These Gentiles would have no idea what the story of Jonah... Now, I'm not saying absolutely none of them. Maybe one or two of them might have been a proselyte and could have known that text. But listen to me. Isn't it interesting that since I just kind of slipped Jonah in there. Isn't it interesting that Jonah was a reluctant prophet, that Jonah would not go to the people that God told him to go to, that Jonah actually went the opposite way than the way he was supposed to go? Because it's almost like the church. We won't go. We're reluctant. We go the opposite way. We do the opposite because we're being taught to do something other than the Word of God. And isn't it interesting that when they finally try to figure out what's bringing this storm that's going on on our ship, that they find that Jonah's in the belly of the boat asleep. And see, that's what's wrong with the church today. We are asleep. We're in the boat, but we're asleep. We don't want to hear the voice of God. We don't want Christ to give us light. We don't want to go. We want to do what we want to do. And that's it. That's it. Because we're feeding self-life. Many would blame the devil. Many would blame false religion. But really, the fault falls upon the person themselves. Because God is an ever-present help in time of need. Everybody has the Bible. You can draw near to God no matter where you're at. You can pray. You don't even have to do it out loud. 
Listen, it becomes a choice of yours. And so the fault cannot be blamed on the devil. The fault cannot be placed upon bad teaching. It has to fall squarely in our own chest that we are not pursuing God. Because if you search for Him, you'll find Him. So it has to be a choice of our own free will. It has to be what we choose to do, not what God has chosen for us. He laid it out there. He's put plenty of food out there to eat. But are you choosing to sup and taste and see that the Lord is good? No sign shall be given. Verse 13. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, they keep getting in the boat, don't they? Keep getting back to the fellowship. This is the way of travel. He's like, my feet are tired. Because if you remember, that's what they're doing, is walking all around the Sea of Galilee and the regions around. So he gets in the boat again, still looking for rest for his physical body. Departed to the other side. So he goes over to the other side. Now while they're in the boat, watch 14. The disciples had forgotten to take bread. And they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Now you got to think about it. There's 12 or 13 of them. At least 13 of them. They only got one loaf of bread. That ain't very much food. Is it? They should have been doing. Where the, where's the fragments at? They should have at least brought one of the baskets, right? Hey, here's a bunch of leftover food. We didn't even take care of it. I don't know where it's at. They didn't plan very well. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, it's interesting. See, again, Roman Romans, right? In Matthew, Matthew says the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Herodians, or Herod, uh, the Herodians mainly were Sadducees, I guess. And Herod is the government. And the Sadducees want to keep him in government. So that's who the Herodians were. Those that were fighting to keep Herod there in the region over them because they had made friends they would paid each other off they were doing great so it was those that were supposed to be serving god that their main focus was on making money and influencing politicians so their main focus was more about politics than god and you have to be very careful in light of what's going on in our country today in light of things that are going on listen god is always to be first God is not a Democrat. God is not a Republican. Listen to me. We need to be very careful that we do not put politics before our compassion, before our love, before the mercy, before the Word of God. Because that's what the Herodians were doing. So the Pharisees, and he says, Beware. Take heed, beware, take heed. It means to stare at. Isn't that interesting? Stare at that. Focus on it. 
discern clearly. Take heed. It means to attend to this and beware. Is to look at, to regard, and it actually means to take heed. So now you've got a double take heed, take heed. Beware, beware. Of what? The leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Now the leaven, remember, leaven is like yeast. It actually means to ferment as if boiling up. That's what this word means in the Greek. And they would put it in bread so that it would permeate it and make it rise. But they ate bread. The bread they were eating didn't have any leaven in it. Usually flat bread. Right? But he tells them to beware of it. And watch what they do. Let me, And I'll come back to this. And they reasoned among themselves saying, It is because we have no bread. He's really mad at us because we didn't bring any of that leftover bread with us. All we have is one loaf. I like the word reason because this is something that you and I should never do in this sense. They reasoned among themselves. Notice this. Reason means to reckon thoroughly, to deliberate, to consider, to think about. But notice what they're doing. They're reasoning among themselves. Instead of saying, what do you mean? Instead of asking God and reasoning with God, come and reason with me, is what God wants. He wants a love relationship. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to reason with Him and understand He'll give you answers. What did they do? They stood amongst themselves and reasoned about it and came up with the wrong answer. You can't leave God out of the reasoning or you'll come up with the wrong answer. Remember that. It's because we have no bread. Well, leaven, leaven always represents in the Bible the influence of evil, the doctrine or way of life, the teachings of the Pharisees and Herod. Listen to me. This leaven can rise up in your life and lead you away from the truth of God. A little leaven will leaven the whole lump, Jesus said. It's really speaking of possibly their pride, their arrogance, their hypocrisy, their self-sufficiency. They're not dependent upon God. They've taken the Word of God and they've changed it. And they're dependent upon their self. So their doctrine is no good. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What they're raising up is not truth. Pun intended. Look over at Matthew 13. Thirteen, thirty-one. Just one little parable. Thirteen, 
Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a must... Oh, excuse me. I'm in the wrong place. Uh, 33. 1333. I apologize. 31 was the birds that come and plant, which birds are a... Um, represent evil too, unless it's the dove. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, many people will tell you that, oh, well, this is a parable, so that leaven does not represent evil. But what I'm here to tell you is, is that that leaven still represents evil. And the meal actually is the grain that came from the seed that is the gospel. And the leaven is being hidden inside the gospel. And it has been for years, just like it was with the nation of Israel, that the leaven was hidden in the law and in what they were supposed to be doing. So they end up with so many different things that they have made the word of God to no avail. And now leaven has been hid inside of the gospel. A woman did it. Not to pick on a woman. The church. We're the church. We have taken and made things fit what we want to do over generations until it's making the Word of God of no avail because of the leaven that we hide in it. Our own pride, our own hypocrisy, our own rules, our own ways, things that make it easier. We should just be preaching truth on Sunday mornings. And so many churches have, t- have begun to teach whatever is soft and easy and keeps people in the building. And they leave out doctrine. They leave out the Word of God. They leave out confrontation with sin. And they just want to keep people coming to their buildings so they can pay the bills. And so we've hidden this leaven for years that's what he was talking about. He had given the parable of the four soils. He gave the parable of the seed. And then he, instantly the attack comes. The birds of the air come. The leaven comes. The weeds come. The tares. Until you have apostasy. That's where it ends up out. Is apostasy. It ends up with Jesus saying, Will I even find faith when I come? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we've taken the Word of God's power away by changing what it says. By making it more palatable for the hearer. And the only way faith can grow is if you get the true Word of God. That's why you need to get alone with God and be in the Word, prayer, and fellowship. You need to be seeking To say, God, what have you called me to do other than to go? How's my gifts, talents, and abilities work? Help me to hone them. See, we are in peril of doing the same thing that the nation of Israel did. That these disciples even did. Think about it. These disciples knew the Word of God. 
Listen to me. They knew the Word of God. They had to remember the first five books by the time they were nine. They had to memorize them. They knew the testimony of God. They knew about Jericho and the walls coming down. They knew about the Red Sea. They knew about water from a rock. They knew about the manna from heaven. They knew these things. They were already in their heart. And so they were waiting on the Messiah. And if this is the Messiah and He fed 5,000, why would you not just say, okay, Jesus, you want us to make Him sit down again? But the church today, we've done the same thing. We have. The church has been around for over 2,000 years. Really, it was around since the garden. It's the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. As God called out Abram, He began calling out the, the, the people that were His. When he said, come out of Ur of Chaldean and stop worshiping the Baals, stop worshiping false gods. But my point is this, is that the church quotes dead saints instead of the Word of God. The church has made up its own religion instead of following the Word of God. The church is doing the same thing the nation of Israel did and ends up missing Jesus when He come. They ended up missing Him because they made the Word of God of no avail. They're testing Him. They're finding fault. They're examining Him. And they decide, they discern, they took heed and looked at Him and they said, He's not the Messiah. And the church by listening to man instead of God. See, we don't want to hear... I, I, I'm not picking on old, old saints that make quotes. But what God said is more important than what an old saint said about God. What God says to you is more important than what I say to you about God. Because it's a personal relationship. But you don't want to get off kilter, so we all are accountable to one another. And listen to me, I am not picking on saints that went before us. That's not my point here. But when the books we write and what the saints said before and commentaries and everything else is more important than the Word of God, we are going to make the Word of God to no avail by listening to what they said. And that's what we've done. That's why our system, I call it culturanity now. It's off the rails. And I'm not saying every church emphatically. God keeps a remedy. There's people that are still searching for God, looking for God. They're reading the Word of God. They're trying to discern the heart of God and be involved in God's work. They're everywhere. But the overall sense is that we've went way away in the church. And we're not reaching the lost. Because we're doing it man's way instead of trusting the Spirit of God. We've put leaven, our own hypocrisy, our own flesh, our own doctrine, everything into the Word of God. And Jesus warned us not to. He said to beware, take warning against the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod.
against this type of mentality. And all of us are Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians at heart if we do not put to death the deeds of the flesh. So this is what they came to the conclusion of is that he's mad because we don't have any bread. Do you think God's mad at you? Do you think God's warning you against stuff because he's mad at you? That he poured out his blood to save you and he's telling you about stuff just because he wants to get you? Why do you think he speaks to you? Why do you think he warns you? Why do you think he would tell you to take heed and look at this? He's trying to make you like him and warn you about the liars and the deceivers and the destroyer that's coming to rob, kill, and destroy you. Verse 17 of our text, But Jesus, being aware of it, he knew what they were reasoning about. He gave them time to think about it. said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Remember that word, hardened? It's a kind of a stone is what it means. It means to petrify or to indurate. Remember that when we had indurate before? Indurate. It means to make hard. That's what indurate. And I might be pronouncing it wrong. Uh, but the extreme heat will make clay indurate. Makes it hard. Or it can make it to be unfeeling and deprived of sensibility. No sensitivity to the Word of God. When our hearts are hardened, we hear the Word of God and we go away. We don't receive the seed. We don't receive the Word. And we just go about doing exactly what we've always done. See, these are His apostles. This is it. They're there with Him. He's not mad at them. He's having compassion on them. He's teaching them and training them. As they hang out, He's discipling them that they're not supposed to have the hard heart. They're supposed to perceive. They're supposed to understand. They're supposed to be becoming more like Him. Notice He's not yelling and screaming at them. What are you, stupid? He's not saying anything like that. He's trying to train them. But sometimes it sounds almost harsh, doesn't it? Don't you perceive? Don't you understand? Are you ignorant? He just wants them to receive. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Notice what he does. He goes back to the testimony of the feeding of the 5,000 because they didn't remember. They didn't remember. They go, how can somebody feed this many people out here? They didn't remember. When I broke the five loaves and the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. When I broke the seven and the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? Seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? Understand what? Just tell us, Jesus, and we'll know. Just tell us and we'll know. Listen, it's not what goes into the belly that defiles a man, remember? That's not what we're supposed to be worried about. It's the leaven of the Pharisees. It's the leaven. It's the bad doctrine. It's the pride. It's the arrogance. It's all the other things that we have to be warned about. 
It's not food. God will provide food. Do you not understand that He was able to provide physically, easily? He's wanting them to understand the spiritual truth. That if they seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that all other things will be added to them. He's wanting them to see the spiritual truth, that there's liars out there trying to deceive you. And you have to keep coming to God and build a personal love relationship and articulate and learn to hear His voice. Don't harden your heart against truth. Food, physical food is not the important thing. There was plenty left over, guys. I'm not talking about bread. I'm trying to warn you and teach you spiritual things. Warn you about the lies and the, and the leaven that's in the spiritual things and, and tell you keep it pure, keep it holy, keep it about me. And know that other people have plans. Look over at Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. Let's just start in verse 10. talking about Jesus being a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He just talked about him learning obedience through the things that he suffered. This is how God teaches us through suffering, through pain, through toil, through fasting, through hard times. And verse 9 says, Oh, yeah, verse 9. Is that 9 or 10? I can't see my Bible. Let's start in 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Notice what it says there. It doesn't say to all who say a prayer. To all who obey him. In other words, you've come back under his authority and you have a heart to follow him. You want to hear him and you want to follow him. Yeah, we are still sinners. We still carry this flesh around. We still stumble. But salvation includes being delivered back to the Father's house, delivered back underneath the authority of God, and we are learning to obey God. Called by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Boy, we do not want to be dull of hearing. Listen to me. Dull of hearing interrupts your faith in God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if we're sick of hearing it and we're too busy with our own self and we're just dull and we don't want to do nothing. Then he says this to the Hebrews. Then this is this is people that were that were threatened by the Pharisees and Sadducees that you're going to lose all of your historicity. You're going to lose everything 
If you continue to follow this Jesus, you'll be kicked out of the synagogue. You will lose your history. And they were prided in their history. Maybe we have the same thing going on now. You will lose all of your American dream as you know it. Listen. Very important stuff that we don't lose God chasing an American dream. Fighting for a political party. Trying to keep somebody... Listen, I, I, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. I, let me just tell you that now. But Donald Trump is not who I trust in. I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because he's against killing babies in the womb, or at least he says he is. I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because he's for religious rights, or at least he says he is. I'm not trusting in him because he's a politician. I don't know what he's going to do tomorrow. I'm trusting in God and going to tell people the gospel no matter what Donald Trump does tomorrow. I mean, just on the surface of it, you could say I'm voting for Donald Trump because Joe Biden can't complete a whole sentence. How's he going to run a country? Listen, back to Hebrews 5.12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Milk is for babies. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, for He is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, that those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern, to judge, to know both good and evil. Listen, this is what he's bringing them to. He wants them to understand the truth. He doesn't want them to stay babies. He wants them to grow. He wants them to understand that faith is growing. Therefore, leaving, chapter 6, verse 1, the discussion of elementary principles of Christ. Listen to what he calls elementary principles. Let us go on to perfection, since Christ has been perfected, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of doctrines of baptism, laid on of hands of the resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. Do you see what he's calling elementary principles? He's saying that saints should understand the foundations of repentance, faith toward God, doctrines of baptisms, Laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment. These are things that we should just know. That's milk. That's what you learn as a baby. If we would obey God. If we would listen to His Word. These are baby things. They're foundational. They're elementary. And if we would exercise our senses, we would be able to discern good and evil. Spiritual senses. We're supposed to be growing in the word, prayer, and fellowship. We've come back into the house of the Father under His authority. We're supposed to be obeying Him. And yet the church is so full of leaven that we don't understand these things. 
We've taken these things out of the simple teaching of the Word of God. And we're full of leaven. We're more worried about soup kitchens and you fill in the blank than we are with the truth of God's Word that gives us a solid foundation so we can go out and teach others. So that we would have a heart to see souls saved. So we would have compassion like Jesus did. I fear that the leaven has put us to sleep. I fear that we like to play and pretend and act as if we're serving God. But we're still serving self. And it shows by our senses and our discernment and the way we live in the Christian church today. Because all we've been commanded to do is to go and make disciples. We're supposed to be witnesses giving testimony. And it's nowhere in our life. Sadly, and I'll close with this as we go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 1. We are the bride of Christ. That's the woman that's put the leaven in to the Word of God, to the truth of God over the centuries. And 25.1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to... Now notice that, because I had a conversation with a young man this last week, and he said he didn't take uh, most of the Bible literal, none of Revelation literal. And I said, well, how in the world do you decide which is literal and which is not then? I said, the only way you can do it is know when the Bible says like unto or liken, or it tells you actual language that tells you that this is an analogy, that this is a parable, that this is likened unto. Or you'll be running around with your head cut off and you won't know whether it's literal or, or, or spiritual or it's truth. He wasn't very happy with me. But it clearly tells you the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. See, we're all being betrothed to Christ through the gospel as chaste virgins. That's who we are positionally. We're not supposed to go out and continue to be adulterers and adulteresses and chase the world. Because if you make yourself a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. Ten virgins who took their lamps, that's your vessel, that's the oil goes in your vessel so you can have a light. You are that vessel. You're not the light of the world, but you become the light of the world if you shine Christ went out to meet the bridegroom. They're waiting, they're watching, they're looking for him. They're ever ready for the bridegroom to come. Are you ready right now for the bridegroom to come? He could come any second. See, the whole thing that we're doing right now in sanctification is the Holy Spirit is in the world right now preparing you, adorning you for a bride, to be a bride, for the wedding supper of the Lamb. As He's went away to build a house for you, you are now, as the bride, the woman in the ceremony, supposed to be prettying yourself up. Preparing yourself for that day when the ceremony will take place. I'm not going to go in deeper. It is deeper, though. 
much deeper. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to prepare you to be a bride of Christ? Are you looking and waiting? Because He could come at any time like a thief in the night. He's going to come at night. It's going to be real dark when He comes. Lawlessness will abound. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Now, I'm not going to go as much as to say as half the church is wise and half the church is foolish. Half the church or the professing church is saved and half of it's not. But notice that five of them had the wisdom of God and the other five were still saying no to God. The fool has said no God. They said they were the church. They said they were the bride. But they've said no God. They're foolish. Testimony of the Holy Spirit. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil. Oil is always indicative of the Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. That is how God is dealing with us today. He seals us with the Holy Spirit. Then He teaches us, guides us, leads us. He's sanctifying us with the oil. So the foolish didn't have any oil. But the wise took oil. Notice they're out about. They're doing their business. They're working for God. They're ready at any time because they're watching, waiting, and working. They have oil in their vessels with their lamps, so they're shining their light on others. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Ooh, even wise brides sleep. They can doze. They slept, just as Jonah did in the boat, in the belly of the boat. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Are you ready to meet him? There was a trumpet sounding. The shofar has blown. Then all those virgins arose, word for stand back up again, come to spiritual truth, trimmed their lamps, cut their wicks so they'd be burning bright. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should be not enough for us. And you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Is there oil in your lamp today? Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The Son of Man, messianic term, ties him to bridegroom. He is our bridegroom. The Father has betrothed him to us. The Word of God tells us that, that it was going to happen. The Messiah has come. 
if you agree to that wedding and say, I agree that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That is your wedding vows. You agree two people at the same place at the same time. And then that is where you come underneath his authority. He becomes your husband. And you begin to submit to him and obey him and allow the Holy Spirit to prepare you for the wedding supper. And if you're resisting the Holy Spirit, rejecting the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, remember that? 751 of Acts, Stephen the first martyr, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. That's what he said to them. Because they were rejecting the fact that Jesus was Lord. This is coming very quickly after us, people. Very, very quickly, this is getting ready to happen. I believe it's so close. The Father is getting ready to announce to Christ to go get them. Is there oil in your lamp? Have you repented? Have you changed your mind and stopped chasing self? Changed your mind and stopped doing what you want to do and begin to do what God has called you to do? Have you asked Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit? Are you beginning to trust Him? See, listen, the disciples didn't stay this way. They didn't say, who's going to feed Him? He just seen Him feed 5,000 and then 4,000. He's leading us to truth. The Holy Spirit is leading you into all truth. And you can trust Him. But you have to stop trusting in yourself. You have to stop trusting in the government. You have to stop trusting in men and begin to trust in the God-man and walk by faith. All of it is by faith. But you have to keep growing. And that takes oil in your lamp. And it's meant to be there so that you will shine on others. And that really talks about testifying. That talks about giving witness. That talks about doing the work of the ministry. While you're waiting, watching, and waiting. But you're already ready if the Holy Spirit is leading you. You're ready. But we don't want to be those that are found with no spirit. Isn't that what he says would happen? Lawlessness? That they would have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. The Holy Spirit is the power thereof. Think about it. If you have not the Spirit, you are not God's. But if you have the Spirit and you're resisting Him, not cooperating with what He wants to do in your life, I would urge you to get into the word prayer and fellowship, to get alone with God, so that you can recognize the leaven that has been placed into the Word of God, into culturanity, into the life that they tell us is a life for God. Oh, it's the same way today. If you don't follow mainstream Christianity and do what they're doing, then you're some kind of nutcase. It's the same thing today. But they've made up their own little system. They've added leaven to it. They've added hypocrisy to it. They've added everything to it. And taken and made the word of God to no avail. 
Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's where the attack is at. How is it you do not understand? That's what he said to him. How is it that you cannot put these things together and mentally comprehend? Or here it is. You know what the word means? Be wise. That's simple. What happened? The wise ones had oil in their lamp. How is it that you do not understand? All you need to do is ask God and He gives us wisdom liberally and without reproach. Just in prayer, just in time alone with God. He will give us spiritual understanding and discernment of the times. Father, thank You for being patient with us. Thank you for having compassion upon us. Thank you that we can reason with you. Lord, keep us from reasoning amongst ourselves. Help us to reason with you. And though our sins were scarlet, they can be white as snow. Help us to counsel with you. Fill us to overflowing with your spirit and send us to a dead and dying world. And Lord, give us wisdom. And how to walk toward those who are outside and, and allow us to redeem the time for the days are evil. Build your church, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Who shall I?